Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Yvonne Heath with us here today, who's a registered nurse since 1988. Yvonne has worked in the United States and Canada in many areas, including emergency, intensive care, chemotherapy, and hospice. She became disheartened by our society's reluctance to talk about pain and prepare for grief transitions and challenges. Gosh, you and I are kindred spirits on that, causing excessive suffering in life and at the end of life. She suffered too, not knowing how to do it differently. In 2015, she took a leap of faith, left her nursing job, and blazed a new trail to create social change. She shares her message with heart and humor as an inspirational speaker with her book, Love Your Life to Death, online program, and as a television and radio host. In 2019, she delivered her TEDx talk, Transforming Grief by Just Showing Up. Yvonne, welcome, and thank you so very much for being here. Thank you, Jesse. It's always wonderful to uh, chat with a kindred spirit. <laughs> yes, and I want to start with the, the excessive suffering piece. You and I were having a really juicy conversation before we started recording, and that conversation went to, I think, much of the space that was inspired your career transition, which was being an observer, but a key figure to people's transitions and their into life care and going through your own emotional experience with that, but not being afforded the societal distinction that we anoint as being a distinction of significance that allows you to feel grief, to feel despair, to feel all those feelings that we feel when we lose loved ones. If you want to go ahead and start with that. Well, it was just, like I said, I, you know, when it comes to creating social change and opening up conversations and really understanding grief and, and how we navigate through and what grief really means to us, we realize how little we talk about it, right? And so why should we be comfortable? Why should we understand it? And so that has truly been uh, my my mission since 2015. And I am learning ongoing. And I just, again, today had like another aha moment of, of when, when someone is grieving, right? And, uh, and grief is our mental, physical, and emotional reaction to loss, transitions, and change. It isn't just at end of life when somebody dies. I mean, divorce, diagnosis, job loss, mental health issues, whatever makes our heartache is grief. And of course, when someone dies, that is, you know, one of the, our greatest grief. Um, and we are very reactive society, right? So when someone is grieving, you have your circle around you, your close friends, hopefully <laughs> they're able to just show up and relatives and maybe a grief therapist and you, you have this intimate circle. And yet as you, I love the forgotten grievers, you think of all of the other people that are impacted by this death or something traumatic or tragic happening in a community. So many people in the community are affected, professionals and community members and they are like the forgotten grievers. They are not going to get that support. They are not going to get bereavement leave or counseling. You know, they're just kind of left with their hard feelings and get back to work. And I'm really sad that, you know, there was this tragedy. Someone was killed 
I mean, I, I remember somebody was killed in our community and I know it was this, this young man with a young family. And of course the family, the, the small family was surrounded. And there are many other people grieving everywhere and just kind of left to deal with it in whatever way they do or don't know how. And we wonder why we suffer excessively. I don't wonder. <laughs> I don't want you know, one of the things that's been really interesting with me in going through a number of losses in the last several years is I've often found that, especially when it comes to friends, some of my friends who I've lost would consider their family more family than their family. You know, we'll call each their other, friends, yes. yeah, we'll call each other brothers and all those types of things. Yeah. And they may not have a closeness with their family, yet after they had passed, all the outpouring, the questions, everything was about their family. How's the family doing? The family must be devastated. The societal framework seems to be about supporting and providing the family. The legal stuff seems to go towards the family. And it's such an interesting thing because it's like we're still defaulting to this assumption that the family must be the only one that suffers, that love is limited only to blood relationships. Mm. And everybody else is just everybody else. They were people who come in and out of each other's life and the level of significance diminishes. Why could you speak a little bit to that? Because I know in talking to you, this has not been your experience. And it sounds like too, in that example you just shared about the, the person being killed in the community, there's a whole community response, yet so few of us actually have the title, the appropriate societally designate a title to be able to, I don't know if the term is even grieve in an accepted way. Well, it, yeah, it, I mean, there's just so much to unpack in this conversation, isn't there? And, you know, the truth is, is that however, whatever relationship you've had with a person, however a death, a loss, a crisis is affecting you and making your heart ache, your feelings are valid. You may acknowledge and allow your feelings, right? It, it isn't like, oh, why am I struggling? They were just my neighbor or, you know, whatever's making your heart ache. If you can sit back and say, wow, I'm, I, I, like, I'm really devastated by what happened over here. No, I'm, I'm just a neighbor. And yet, you know, I mean, you could have watched this, this young person who died, you could watch them grow up from the time they were two and you've just, just thought so much of them and watched them, you know, watch their lives unfold. And, and we have to allow our, our hard feelings. And, you know, we're, we're certainly not gonna, not, not everyone can go run to therapy because it just is not realistic. And truly, even if you go to therapy, it's just for, a very brief time, you know, and I would say, I've gone to therapy, it's one hour a week for so many weeks, and then you're done. And your grief could be, can be long lasting, ongoing. And so wouldn't it be wonderful if that, you know, I want to support the supporters and, and the outer community, the outer circle, if we could just have conversations and say, I am really devastated that this happened and just acknowledge and allow those feelings and give ourselves be intentional about the self-care and checking in and giving ourselves a moment we would be doing so much better i guarantee it <laughs> i guarantee it 
Your TED talk is called about just showing up. Talk to us about what just showing up can look like for, and let's look at both sides. If you're someone who's actually grieving, what does it look like to just show up and, and honor your grief? And if you're someone who is supporting someone who's gone through a loss, who's grieving, how can we show up for them? I love that. And I'll just back up and say, so when I left my career, which was this very bold move, because I saw a pop up on Facebook, how to write a best selling book. I don't oh my gosh, that's it. I'm gonna leave my 27 year nursing career. My poor husband talk about grief. He's just like, <laughs> okay, um, you know, a mortgage, three kids. And he's like, well, that's great, honey, except that you don't write. And it's, I know, isn't it fantastic? And it was like, Passion and Purpose kidnapped me. And in my book, Love Your Life to Death, I sent out one email and I said, I don't, I want to write a book. I don't want surveys and statistics. I want to share people's stories, real, true, raw, gritty stories, being in the deep trenches of grief. What helped you get to the other side and find joy in your life again? Will anyone share their stories? And I just remember, like I, I was sitting here and I pressed send. I thought, I wonder if anyone will respond. I have no idea. Well, as I'm sure you know, six years later, all these years later, the stories haven't stopped coming. And what I realized in that sharing our stories, we help heal ourselves and each other. And, and so in sharing stories, people ages 11 to 101 in my book, it, it, it changed me, it changed my life. And I've had thousands of people say how it impacted them in such a positive way. And I feel like it's a great resource for every adult. And yet I, as I continued on, I realized I wanted something that could reach people of all ages, mm -hmm. right? Because it, to create social change, I want to start with normalizing these conversations with children and teens and adults and adults of all ages. And so I was pacing again. And I thought, you know, we just need to learn how to just show up for ourselves. I went, oh my gosh, wait a minute there. Ta-da, aha. The I just showed up movement. And so the I just showed up and that's why I have my bracelet. Hashtag I just showed up. Hashtag I just showed up teaches people of all ages how to just show up for themselves and others so they are empowered and resilient when grief arrives. And in all the interviews I had, more, more often than not, what I heard was I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say, so people avoid. Mm. Afraid to do or say the wrong thing. So the message is, when you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, you can't fix it. The magic answer is no matter what the situation, just show up. And just showing up can be as simple as acknowledging and allowing all feelings, listening to the story, hug, text, email, call, sit silently and listen, say, this is hard for me too. My heart is aching. Tell me about your dad who just died. Tell me about your neighbor you love so much. Just putting, setting aside any judgment or comparison and just being present, just showing up. And of course, you, you must, you must, you must. If you want to be able to just show up for others, you must show up for yourself first. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hadn't done as a nurse and suffered excessively because I didn't have, in just showing up for yourself first, you have create a foundation for yourself of skills, what do you believe about life and death, coping skills, strategies, what does grief mean to you? How do you grieve? How can you express your grief? How are you very intentional about checking in mentally, physically, emotionally? So 
taking your power and just showing up for yourself first, you take your power and your responsibility that you are in charge of your own happiness, your own coping skills, acknowledging and allowing your own grief. If someone else just shows up for you, it's a bonus and, and you must show up for yourself first. Right on the days, like, especially, you know, this is a very challenging time in our, in our lives. And on the days that I feel good, like today, I will shine my light. Like I will say, I am loving this conversation. I am in some days I'm not, and I can't shine my light. And mm -hmm. I say, you know what, today I'm having a little pity party because I just need to. And that's how I'm going to show up for myself first. I just, I'm tapping out. I'm going to, I have my self-care toolbox with all things that reminds me how to be a great, like a great intentional self-care giver. And I just need to fill my own happiness bucket and, and get back to that place. So honoring wherever you are and checking in frequently is how you can just show up for yourself first. And in that you are being a very great example to others right? You're being a wonderful example. I can't make you happy. I can't make you take care of yourself. And so, whew, that's a relief, everybody. You can't take care of everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> you can't fix everybody else. Be the very best version of you, and then you'll be able to just show up for others as well. So, that's a very long answer to one question, Jesse, but I'm very passionate about it. <laughs> no, and I, you know, I can personally attest to that, Yvonne, because I've, I've learned for myself that when I lose someone or I'm going through a really heavy loss, I will give myself a week of just, I cancel anything that's not essential, I, you know, minimize any extra stuff. And it's just, it's really like pajamas and a blanket and... I'll eat frozen waffles and peanut butter and jelly if I need to, but yep. whatever it is to nurture myself in that moment, to cry as much as I need to cry. And I found that just giving myself that time, you know, basically saying like, Hey, this is, this is sacred time now for me and I'm going to honor it and confronting the painful stuff. And, I, and I'm curious to your thought on this too, because it occurred to me before I started doing this, especially with the first few losses I'd gone through and I hadn't really started to learn about all this and gone into this world. There was, there was a few forces. There was number one, I didn't want to, I wanted to avoid the pain because it was so hard and hurtful. It was so heavy. So let's distract myself, busy myself, go back to work, all these things. And number two, I didn't really know how to put myself first. I didn't really know how to show up for myself because I had, I had made myself a, you know, sought after in my friend circle or a, an asset to clients, whatever that was. And I felt like I always had to show up for everybody else, but how am I supposed to show up for me? So I am curious to your thoughts of that. Like, what is, what is our resistance then to, to showing up for ourselves? Because I feel like a lot of us too, we can get around, we can maybe get on board with showing up for others because there's kind of that reward of makes me feel like I'm a good friend, a good neighbor, whatever it is, but to get on board of showing up with ourselves, there seems to be a little bit more resistance to it. I just love this part of this because we have celebrated 
the martyr. We have celebrated the person that's so busy, the badge of honor. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm the busiest person in the world. I've just done all of these things. And, and I, one of my favorite stories, and this depicts this ex exactly what you're saying, is I went to a women's uh, was at a conference and this woman had those pipe cleaners, you know, those things you can, she said, twist these around and talk about how stressed you are in your life. And there were women and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm just so stressed and I'm so busy and I work 160 hours and I barely ate today and I'm just, oh, frazzled. And then the next one was like, oh, well, I worked like 200 hours, you know, and, and I did, I coached soccer and I did this and the, like each story they were topping right the last one like oh well I was so busy I you know I saved a small planet and whatever and then the fourth woman she just kind of stood and she's like because they, they were also saying what they had done and she said well I don't I don't really want to tell you what I did and she was all embarrassed mm -hmm. and she said yesterday I had a massage and she was apologizing right because oh. she didn't have the I'm excessively busy I'm saving everyone and you know, in that, that was my moment going like, wow, this is the conversation. How many times do you call your friend? How are you? Oh my God, I'm so busy. I'm just, I'm done doing all these things. And I have a lot of relatives like that. I was like, and I, now I refuse. I refuse. Yeah, we're all busy. I, I refuse to talk about that. And we place our value, right? I'm the busiest person in the world. I, oh, I, she's so great. He's so great. He takes care of everyone else and he puts himself last. It's so wonderful. That's a hard no. That person is fired. Fired. Right? Like yeah. this is what we're teaching people about self-care. We're teaching them, you know, that your, your value doesn't have to be on all the things you do. And we're hypocritical because we're, we're not doing walking our talk. And, and so when people start to tell me, oh my God, I'm so busy. I don't take care of myself. I just say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What can you do to change that? Because the truth is, is that you're being very selfish. I said that in my Ted talk and I loved it. And you know, you kind of see people like, what? I'm the most giving person in the world. It's like, well, you're being a poor example. You are not your best self. You're probably a lot crabbier than you think. And eventually you will break down mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, if you're always putting yourself last. And by doing that as well, we are teaching our young people, oh, I'm doing everything for you and putting myself last. So that means you have more value than I do. And then one day you'll be an adult and you'll have to do the same. Right? Like when we actually think about it, we are actually doing our children a disservice or whoever we are influencing by saying, you're all more important than me, but someday, you know, you'll have to give up the reins and drag yourself along. So, I mean, it is my responsibility to take care of me mentally, physically, emotionally, to check my happiness barometer. And that's another thing we've stopped asking, right? Often when I'm doing a keynote, presentation workshop I say quick question are you happy people are like well I don't I don't know I don't have time to think about that I don't I don't know and I said well that's sad what can you do to change that because you know maybe we do come back but I want to live the heck out of this life <laughs> like yeah and be a great example of happiness we've got it backwards right our value is how busy no let's let's so again, that's a social change and, and, and it's so important because 
when you look around and say, oh, well, how's this working out for society, the success of busyness? Mental health issues, drug addiction, suicides. I mean, the, we're not doing very well. <laughs> we're not doing very well. It's so true. I, I have always been amazed how consistently the narrative will go as follows. Somebody travels to a third world, very poor country. They come back and they inevitably say something to the effect of, my gosh, they were so poor there, but I cannot believe how happy they are. They, have, they are so much happier than we are. What the heck are we doing wrong? And honestly, God, one of my biggest light bulb moments of 2020 was to what you just said. I, I would often boast to people. I haven't had a day off. I have not taken a day off work. So a day without any work at all since March of 2011, because it was like this competition, right? You know, who's going to go. So whatever it was, I was always going to be able to win that one. Oh, you think you got 150 hour a week or whatever it is. I'll see your 150 hour week and raise you 10 years. That is 3,600, whatever consecutive days of work. Let's see if you can top that. And it occurred to me. So what occurred to me with that is it's, it's, I think all of us will, if given the opportunity, we seek abundance, right? We want abundance in life. We, you hear more people talking about, I just want more abundance in life. And the game of life is for most of us, we're playing the game of life for happiness, fulfillment, joy, those types of things. And what my big aha was last year is that that psychology that I can't take a day off work, I have to be so busy is not abundance, but it's scarcity because it's saying oh. like, right, it really is. And so real, real abundance would be pausing that enjoying right now and i love work so work i'm really blessed i absolutely right. love the work i do yes but there's a lot of stuff that is stuff in work it's stuff that doesn't need to be done right then it's stuff mm -hmm. that the world is not going to end it's not going to kill me if it doesn't get done and i will deprive myself of me being able to enjoy more moments with the false narrative of well i'll get all this done and then i'll have time for this but I think what everything, what you, what you, I, and all of us who have lost people can attest to, and I'm sure you, you can speak more beautifully to this and having been with people who are taking their final breaths. I imagine most of those people, if not all, did not say, gosh, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have spent more hours working. I wish I would have worked longer weeks than Joe down the street. They're probably saying the opposite and saying, gosh, I really wish I would have just taken a few more moments to play with my kids. 100% of the time, literally. And I have been at the bedside. You are so right. So I won't give you a speech about you're not taking any days off. Perhaps off, I will at some point. I'm glad you've recognized this. And I'm sure I could ask you what you're doing to change that. And you will have many wonderful answers. <laughs> um, Yes, I have been at the bedside of more dying people uh, who have died and taken their last breath than I can count. And that is a, a tremendous honor and privilege. And I've had those intimate conversations and never, ever, ever was there a, oh, I should have been busier. I should mm. have done more. It's always, I should have done less. I should have had more fun, been, been the person I wanted to be instead of what everyone expected. 
I wish I would have played catch with my kid. And, and those are, and there's sad regrets, right? It's like a, um, a crisis of spirit almost. And, you, and it's like, how sad that in your, that's when you recognize it, right? And, you know, here's the hard truth. And I know you have experienced this over and over is that our loved ones, and we do not all die of old age and we do not always get a warning. Yeah. So the time to live the heck out of your life is right now. <laughs> it's like yeah. starting today. Right. So I, like I say, I, you know, I aspire to live till I'm 112. So that means I'm, I'm middle-aged right now, <laughs> right down the middle. And you know what, maybe the universe has other plans. I'll be really mad because I have a lot to say and I accept that. Right. And when people say, you know, people just get so distraught about, oh, you know, they were, they were taken too young. They didn't have a chance to live their lives, whatever. If we can accept, we don't have to like it, but we're all here for our journey. And some journeys are five minutes, some are five years, some are 50 years and some are more. And I have, you know, to, to continue to honor someone and be the evidence that their lives made a difference, be the evidence that someone's life made a difference. They're, they could have tremendous impact in those five minutes. Maybe someone is going to, you know, if it's a SIDS death of a baby, maybe someone is going to work the rest of their lives on preventing SIDS and, 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 you know, in memory of, um, maybe someone whose child died of cancer is going to, you know, be passionate about sharing a message. And I know so many parents who have started groups and, and supported other parents. And just like you, I mean, you, you've taken your, your heart that has been broken many times and now it's battered and scarred and healing and, and doing something purposeful from that. So if we can move away from that, you know, I know people have lived 98 years and they kind of think, well, ah, didn't really do much with my life. And it's like, well, how long did, is that supposed to take? <laughs> yeah, right? It's not about how many years we're here. Yeah. Right. It's not about how many years we're here. Yeah. I, I've often thought, you know, what a privilege it would be for some to realize they didn't have tomorrow, meaning that would someone be so consumed in their suffering if they knew their breaths were that limited? And I, I really struggle to find someone who would be, you know, I think maybe people might be stubborn enough to do it, but just to say, I told you so, but I think most of us, we would find some sort of inspiration or cause greater than that one or two stories that we use as a narrative for why we can't and why we're unable to. Well, we're running up on our time. And I feel like we've barely even scratched the surface of all that I, I want to, to ask, but to be respectful of you and our readers and listeners and watchers. I'll just ask one more question, but before I do that, where can people find and connect with you online? Very easy to go to my website, loveyourlifetodeath.com and everything's there. My book, my TED talk, it's all there and anyone is welcome to reach out. I love that title too. That's such a great title. I'm, I'm passionately curious about what the secret is, if there is a secret or what the key is for helping people heal from a loss, to move forward from grief, to heal from 
a heartbreak. And I think this is more relevant than ever because globally there is such a presence of grief through what we've gone through in 2020, what we're still going through in 2021, and just the normal day-to-day stuff that we that for many of us that was challenging likely appeared to be insignificant in societal eyes as we were consumed with things like COVID and, and whatnot. I'm curious in your experience, have you found that there is one or two things that people who seem to heal, people who seem to be able to to move forward from the grief and the despair and are able to go on and be happy and fulfilled. What are those things, if there are anything that people do? Well, I think that first of all, this, this tremendous global grief and pandemic, this great pause has kind of forced us. We, we like to be really busy and avoid grief. So those who have actually stepped into it and said, okay, I need to figure out how to navigate grief and, and there has to be an acceptance. Grief and, and moving through grief is an ongoing process and learning, right? So I just, those who have chosen, because everything's a choice, right? We always have a choice. We don't always have the choice we wish we had. If we can accept grief as a part of this journey, if we can dig in and and what do we believe about life and death? I feel like, you know, when I talk about talk about plan and prepare before that's the first layer of that foundation what do you believe about life and death and choose to believe something Mm -hmm. that will give you comfort in life and at the end of your life i am continuing to learn as i go along right we cannot push grief away you know it's like keep your friends close your enemies closer although grief and death they are not the enemy take this time and those who you know, I, I always tell people I haven't started caring less. I've just started accepting more. And I accept the, you know, our, our, our lives are only as long as they are. And we don't always have a choice about that. I am embracing my grief, acknowledging and allowing all my feelings. And when you just show up for yourself, you are being a great example. And when you just show up for others to be, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable and you can't fix it allow your feelings, your flawed, messy, imperfect human self, and just show up. And that is how we can all move through this with greater ease and less suffering. Everyone, my goodness, are you going to want to rewatch and re-listen? This talk is as relevant today as it will undoubtedly be relevant 10 years from now. Yvonne shared with us a tremendous journey and it's a very human journey i would say of what it means to live to love and to lose we talked about the forgotten grievers those who are in that outer circle maybe not that first societally anointed connection but those ones who are friends or neighbors who are often forgotten about what we need to do to care for ourselves as well as caring for others about how important it is to prioritize yourself to make yourself and your own self-care a priority and developing that kind of foundational routine, because if you're going to truly show up for others, you need to first show up for yourselves. Showing up, my goodness, you're going to want to take some time to go and watch Yvonne's TED Talk. It's, it's wonderful, it's powerful, and it speaks eloquently to the notion that all of us have been in, in the place we've all been at one point, where we don't know what to say, we're not sure what to do. You just want to show up. It speaks beautifully, I think, to the idea, the notion that we all are great as we all are. We all are enough 
and we always have been in a world that often struggles with being enough and feeling loved. What a beautiful way to validate your own sense of worth, your own sense of love, and to sure show up for yourself and then show up for others. Avon, this has been such a beautiful treat to share this time with you. Thank you so much for blessing us with your time. I deeply appreciate you. Thank you so much, Jesse, and I appreciate you. Absolutely. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to